Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our morning worship. It gives me great pleasure to welcome, um, as our guest preacher and leader of worship this morning, Lionel Gibbs. Um, if you were here when his wife Mo preached a couple of years ago, you'll have met Lionel already. And uh, he is himself a student at the Scottish Baptist College and recently was accepted to begin the journey towards accredited ministry of the Baptist Union of Scotland. So you're very welcome, Lionel. And um, please give our love to Mo, um, because uh, we, we love her dearly. Good morning. Can I thank you for inviting me here this morning and the privilege it is to be able to worship with you today. It may be that you've come here this morning and your week has not been as great as you'd hoped it had, in which case you may be able to resonate with the sentiment of the writer of Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemies will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. It may be that even if our weeks have not been as we hoped, that as we gather, that we are able to say together that we trust in his unfailing love, that we are able to rejoice in his salvation, that even though we gather, knowing we live in a world where there is pain and hurt and difficulties of many sorts, we gather knowing it will not always be that way. Heavenly Father, as we gather here in your name to glorify you, may we hear your voice and know your presence. As we gather knowing the wrongs and the pains of the last week, may we know your healing and your forgiveness. As we gather a people of one family who are clothed and fed, May we thank you for your provision. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. May we hear your voice today. Amen. If you could turn now to number 692. It's a responsive psalm. And it's based on Psalm 103. I will read the plain type. And I will ask you to join in with the bold type. Number 692. My soul, give thanks to the Lord, all my being, bless his holy name. My soul, give thanks to the Lord, and never forget all his blessings. It is he who forgives all your guilt, who heals every one of your ills. Who redeems your life from the grave, who crowns you with love and who fills your life with good things, renewing your youth like an eagle's. The Lord is compassion and love, slow to anger and rich in mercy. His wrath will come to an end. He will not be angry forever. He does not treat us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our faults. 
As a father has compassion on his sons, the Lord has pity on those who fear him. For he knows of what we are made, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flowers like the flower of the field. When he goes, he is gone, and his place never sees him again. But the love of the Lord is everlasting. Upon those who hold him in fear. His justice reaches out to children's children when they keep his covenant in truth, when they keep his will in their mind. Give thanks to the Lord, all his angels, mighty in power, fulfilling his word, who heed the voice of his word. Give thanks to the Lord, all his hosts, his servants who do his will. Give thanks to the Lord, all his works in every place where he rules. My soul is the best to the Lord. And we read now from Mark chapter 13, reading from verse 1 to verse 8. Mark chapter 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said, Look, teacher, What wonderful stones and buildings. Jesus answered, You see these great buildings. Not a single stone here will be left in its place. Every one of them will be thrown down. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple when Peter, James, John and Andrew came to him in private Tell us when this will be, they said, and tell us what will happen to show that the time has come for all these things to take place. Jesus said to them, Be on guard and don't let anyone deceive you. Many men claiming to speak for me will come and say, I am he, and they will deceive many people. And don't be troubled when you hear the noise of battles close by and news of battles far away. Such things must happen, but they do not mean that the end has come. Countries will fight each other. Kingdoms will attack one another. There will be earthquakes everywhere, and there will be famines These things are like the first pains of childbirth. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word this morning, may you speak to us in our hearts and minds. May our thoughts come from you. And may you reveal to us what it is you would desire that we do. Amen. When Anne contacted me a couple of weeks ago to let me know what you'd been studying and the passage that I was being asked to prepare for this morning, I must admit I checked it several times. Mark chapter 13 wouldn't be the first passage I would look to if I was thinking about who rules. 
Now, I know in the last couple of weeks you've considered love rules and humility rules. But then I realized I'd fallen into the same mistake in the past that many people do. That when you read a passage like this, we are so interested in the details to work out what maybe happened in the past, what's referring to the future, trying to read the signs of the times, trying to dissect it. We almost miss why Jesus was saying what he was saying. And as we consider the passage this morning, we'll start to realize that the question, who rules, is maybe better than many of the other questions that are asked of this passage. Sometimes when we ask ourselves who rules, we don't realize how many things in our lives have taken over. We value our jobs, we value our families, we value the home we live in. And if we're honest, our day-to-day decisions in many things are decided upon meeting the needs and requirements that those things meet. These, some of these are essentials. Some of them aren't. Some of them we could live without, but we will go a long way to avoid that happening. This passage was quite alarming for Peter, James, and John. Because even though we have the luxury of dissecting it and wondering whether Jesus was talking about something that's happened or something that's still to happen, for Peter, James, and John, to talk of the temple being destroyed couldn't mean anything else other than the end of the world. And yet we know, 2,000 years later, that the temple has been destroyed but the world has not come to an end. But from Peter, James, and John's perspective at that time, that was unconceivable. Because for the temple to be destroyed, it must have meant God had deserted them. It must have meant that they'd been unfaithful in some way, and therefore God was punishing them. It's not a mindset we necessarily have living here in the West. Rightly or wrongly, we don't put too much value into physical symbols. There's not many things here in the West that if someone was to destroy or burn or deface that we would take to the streets and protest about it. On the other hand, if things were to go pear-shaped at work or things were to go happen in our families that were going downhill, I've spoken to many Christians over the years that have thought it was a result of their unfaithfulness or maybe God wasn't listening to them anymore. That even though we don't put the values in the symbols, there are little signs in our own lives that we read as being a sign of whether we have favor with God or whether we don't. When things are going well, it's easy to praise God and to thank him and to think how blessed we are. But then for some reason when things aren't going well, we presume it's because we're not close to God or something's gone wrong in our spiritual life. And yet as we study this passage, we'll realize that God is saying, Jesus is saying exactly the opposite And he's knocking this attitude on its head. When we ask ourselves what rules, we kind of have to ask ourselves, where have I put my trust? As I said, as Western Christians, we haven't put a lot of emphasis into symbols or into the way we dress. But we know this isn't true worldwide. We know that when someone defaces a Quran and sticks it on YouTube, it will lead to protests, protests all over the world. Because to dishonor the Quran is to dishonor the Muslims that follow it. And their identity as 
Muslims is so tied up in the Quran that to deface it is to offend each one of them personally and also dishonor Muhammad. Maybe if you get some idea of proportion, you may have noticed or not noticed that when Osama bin Laden was arrested, the protests were relatively quiet compared to when someone published a cartoon in a Western newspaper. Because Osama bin Laden may have been a Muslim, but his identity was not tied to each individual Muslim. These symbols matter a lot. So to offend them is to offend each individual personally. Can you imagine... And with the recent news items, I wondered about if there was a better way to put this, but can you imagine the protest and the uproar there would be if anything would happen to the Temple on the Mount in Jerusalem today? If one of the missiles went astray and the Temple was destroyed in some way? The consequences would be more than we would want to consider. But for the Jews in the first century, their emotions and their feelings towards the Temple were the same. The temple for them was the very heart of their faith. It was something that symbolized their covenant relationship with God. To see the temple destroyed would be to destroy each one of them individually. So was they leaving the temple and the disciples are marveling at the grandeur of this temple, which Herod may be building for a number of motives, but represented not only how glorious was the God that they worshipped, but how strong was their relationship with them? To turn to Jesus and say, look how amazing this is, and for Jesus to turn around and say, every stone will be removed. It will be destroyed. was shocking. It was exactly the opposite of what they would have expected Jesus to say. Not only did it mean possibly that this could be the end of all things, how could Jesus, their Messiah be talking about the destruction of the very thing that was at the heart of their relationship. For them, as we very much believe too, when the Messiah comes, he will bring with him the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. All the enemies will be destroyed. And the whole earth will come under Christ's rule. Very similar to what the Jews believed. So this did not make sense to them that Jesus was actually saying almost the opposite. That now he had come, the temple would be destroyed. Can you imagine praying to God to help you in your work and then having him turn around and tell you you're going to lose your job? It doesn't make sense. We don't value buildings and there's not many things that we would be prepared to die for. Even if someone defaces our Bible, we are offended and we do get upset. But we value what it contains more than the physical Bible itself. We don't take to the streets in mass protest. But like I said, there are other things we do value. Although Jesus said, do not be alarmed, this is very alarming. If we value peace and security, Jesus has said, there will be war. If we value health and pray for the health of ourselves and of others, Jesus has just said there will be famine. And from that we know there will be disease. If we believe that the bad things in this world are happening because of 
human nature and because of the things we do to each other. Well, Jesus has said there will be earthquakes. And it would be very naive of us to think that these things did not happen to praying Christians. Yet Jesus says very clearly they will happen. But he also says these are not the signs that the end has come. Though if you're living in a country that's at war, if you've had to live through a natural disaster, I'm sure it very much feels like it is. But this is shocking. But they are not signs that Jesus has deserted us either. They are not signs that he has forgotten about us or that he is not listening to our prayers. These are signs that he is still to return. These are signs that when he does return, these things will come to an end, but that he has not returned yet. Birth pangs are not felt after the baby has been born. When we see horrendous things on the earth, we are not to be alarmed. It is not that God has forgotten or deserted us. But as well as telling us not to be alarmed, he's also told us not to be deceived. That many will come in his name claiming that they are him. One of the hardest parts of the story, if you ever read about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, is that when it was set on fire and when it was started to be destroyed, it had thousands of people in it. Because some of the false prophets had stood up and told them, to go into the temple and await their salvation. The building was packed when it was set on fire. We may not be deceived in being told to go to certain places. But this is an important thing that Jesus has told them, not to be deceived, not to let other people tell you or speak to you as if they are Christ themselves. This is where we can be deceived. Because we value Christ returning. We value hearing the word of God. And yet I know as I listen to many Christians speaking. I hear them quote charismatic leaders, reformers. People from every persuasion. As if they themselves were the voice of God. And yet Jesus says do not be deceived. He and he alone is the source of the word of God. We must be very careful never to give any person a position in our lives where they take a spiritual authority that means that we follow what they say without questioning it. There is only one Christ. But this brings us back to the start of the passage. Just think of the bizarreness of the situation that you are walking along with Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And you point out the temple to him and you say, you ask him to marvel at the temple. Let's think about that for a minute. Which is greater? Jesus or the temple? Who should be marveling at who? If Jesus had been recognized for who truly was, then surely the disciples should have been saying to those in the temple, look, here is the Christ, here is the Son of God, Marvel at him. This is the one who will die for you and in whom all salvation is found. Yet we must also ask ourselves if we have been guilty of the same question. At least in our hearts of having things in our lives that we want God to marvel at. That we want God to look upon and say, oh that's amazing. When in reality, 
all that we have and all that we are should be marveling and praising him. We have placed our hope in many things and there are many things in our lives that we see as signs that all is well. Things that become our sources of hope. And sometimes it's simply because we do not know what God is doing. There is a story which I believe is true that during the Second World War when the Holocaust was at its worst that there was a meeting of some of the senior rabbis in one of the concentration camps and they held a trial and accused God of breaking his covenant. They found God guilty. Now as horrendous as the concentration camps were and there are many evils that happened that we really don't want to talk about we also know the Jews were not destroyed nor had God deserted them or forsaken them. Each Easter when we come round to Good Friday, we remember Jesus being put on trial. We remember that the disciples fled. They hid in fear. When he was killed on the cross, all hope must have appeared gone and lost and (coughs) and defeated. It was their darkest day. Yet we know that Christ rose again. In submitting himself to the will of humanity and being put to death, he was not defeated, nor was he out of control. At that moment when the world seemed at its darkest, Christ was achieving and accomplishing his greatest ever victory. At no point in those three days was God ever dethroned. He was not unseated from his position of power, and he most certainly had not deserted us. We owe all we have to him. Because of what he did then. We are not in a world where peace is the norm. Where all have everything they need. We are not in a world where security either from war or natural disaster can be guaranteed. But we are in a world where Christ is working to redeem his people. A world that will one day be renewed and restored. Yet until then. There may be days in our lives where it feels like the day after Christ was crucified. When there was no hope. But do not be alarmed or deceived. Christ is working. God is on the throne and he will return. The resurrection of all will come to happen. But it may not be today. It might not happen till tomorrow. Do not be alarmed. Who rules? Christ rules. As we now turn our minds and pray for others, I will pray for the suffering, the sick, those in authority. I will pray for prominent Christians in the church. But it is not possible from the frontier to pray too specifically. So in between each petition, I will pause and allow you to pray quietly of anything that you are aware of that you wish to bring to mind and bring to the Lord at this time. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we bring to you those that we know are suffering. We pray for the church where it is being persecuted. We are aware of Egypt and Syria and the Middle East and many other places where people are suffering for their relationship with you. We pray that you would strengthen them to endure what they are going through. 
but to also bring them the peace that comes from being in your presence at all times and in every situation. Until that day when suffering will cease, may we also do all we can to be faithful to you in every situation. Heavenly Father, we pray for those who are ill. We pray that you would strengthen them, not only spiritually, but also physically. Lord, be also with their families and carers. And may not only your presence be known, but also your handiwork, in a way that others will know that you are here. We pray for those that are in authority, and those that make decisions that affect both ours and others' lives. For our bosses at work, as well as those that are in the council and in the governing bodies. May you give them wisdom and clear guidance in all they do. May they look favourably upon us. But may we also learn to see your hand when decisions are made that are not as we would desire. Lord, we also pray for those Christians who are in prominent positions, who speak in public places and are heard on television. May you speak clearly through them, so that in all situations, political, social or otherwise, your voice is the one that is heard the loudest. And may all that they do be for your glory and your glory alone. And Heavenly Father, we pray for your church here in Hillhead, May you bless us, lead us and continue to use us to glorify your name and further the work of your kingdom here in this community in which we dwell. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore.